Hi, this is the Cancer Liberation Project podcast. If you've been touched by cancer and have some fear around remaining healthy, you are in the right place. As a 20-year-plus cancer survivor, Haley knows how unsettling it can be to not only hear the words, you have cancer, but also the uncertainty and fear that comes when you have been declared cancer-free. The Cancer Liberation Project was born out of Haley's desire to make cancer less scary for people, to give people hope that they can not only heal from cancer, but live their best, most vibrant life after cancer. Get ready to be inspired with your host, Haley Dubin. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. Today, I'm sitting down with Eric Dunlop. We discuss topics surrounding breast cancer from a man's perspective, which is not often talked about. A breast cancer survivor for 20 years, Eric has been featured on several television and radio interviews, as well as multiple health awareness programs. His goal every time he speaks is to encourage, empower, and inspire. Invitations to speak by corporations, churches, colleges, universities, organizations, and support groups enable Eric to share his message of hope and success with various groups. Eric is an active participant on the American Cancer Society Speakers Bureau, Susan G. Komen Speakers Bureau, and the National Cancer Survivors Speakers Bureau. I look forward to sharing my conversation with Eric, but before I do, just a reminder to head over to my website at revivewellness.com to get your free seven top tips to keep cancer away and feel confident in your body again. That's R-E-V-I-V-E wellness.com. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. I'm really looking forward to talking to you today. Well, I'm excited to be here and, and like what you're doing with spreading awareness and sharing stories about cancer, cancer survivors, and, and kind of keeping things on the forefront uh, about what's going on and, and how people are dealing with it. Well, thanks so much. I mean, your story is one that's not often talked about, so I would love you to share it with us. Yeah, I am. Uh, I've just reached 21 years of surviving male breast cancer, and male and breast cancer are not always in the same sentence, but in my case, uh, it was a unique occurrence. And, and there are other men that I've talked with that have had similar occurrences as well. Uh, we all have shock when we hear breast cancer and men in the same sentence. I remember the first thought that I had was, I'm a man. I, I just have a chest. I don't really have breasts. And, and so, of course, you know, that was running through my head. And I think I probably said it out loud. <laughs> so the, the doctors gonna say, well, you actually do have breasts. They may not form in the same way that a woman's breasts would form, but you, you do have a, you know, a breastplate, you have a chest plate. Yeah. And they went on to just describe what was there. And, and finding it was, you know, finding your own cancer is a relief in one way and a shock and, and fear in the next. I'm glad that I was able to, to find it. I'm sure. So tell me how you found it. Well, it started out looking at a, a photo of uh, my wife and I when we got married. And, and I saw this photo and I was in, in very good shape, younger, obviously. And, <laughs> but, you know, three children. Uh, and uh, so when I saw this photo and I looked at myself comparatively and I saw this young guy in you know, great shape, you know, you could see the ab definition and the, 
the pecs and the guns, you know, all the muscles are where they were supposed to be. And then you fast forward, you have two children, um, you get a little more sedentary in your lifestyle, um, good cooking for my wife. And I didn't see the six pack abs any longer. They were somewhat insulated. Um, <laughs> I saw that the pecs were not looking the way they were looking and, and my arms either. So I decided to do a workout. And I began to do a series of curls with weights and doing push-ups and sit-ups. And so I was doing sit-ups and I got to about a hundred sit-ups. Not, I mean, not sit-ups, but push-ups. I, did, I didn't get to a hundred sit-ups. I got to a hundred push-ups. And I felt an excruciating pain in my chest and thought that I'd possibly torn a muscle or something or overdone it, obviously, in this crazy workout I was doing. But I couldn't get off the ground. And that's how great the pain was, so excruciating that I, you know, I just kept thinking, what is wrong with me? So my wife is upstairs in the upper level with the two children. One's a 13-month-old, Christopher, and then my three-year-old, uh, Jordan. And uh, so I asked her to come to the basement. I didn't want to scare her, but I knew that I couldn't get off the ground by myself without this excruciating pain. So when she comes downstairs, I begin to explain to her that my chest is hurting so badly that I can't stand. And so she's running, she's putting the baby down to run to call 911. And I said, but honey, wait a minute, I'm breathing fine. It's just my chest is hurting. And she comes over to me and tries to assist me stand. And this time the pain on a scale of one to 10, I'd say it was probably a 12 to 15. Ooh. You know, I'm grimacing and she looks at me and I reach up and I clutch my chest in the space that I'm feeling the pain. And I said, honey, there's a lump there. And she said, well, what do you mean? And I said, there's a lump here. And that's where the pain is. And so she went to touch as well. And see, she said, there is something there. She said, well, how long has that been? There? I said, I just noticed it just, you know, a few moments ago. And this is where the pain is coming from. So I'm going to the doctor the next day and we're going to figure out what's going on. So I follow suit, go to the doctor, uh, explain to him about this pain I was feeling and, and what I was doing. And he said, well, you know, when did this lump get there? Because he noticed it as well. And I said, I just noticed it last night. He said, okay. And then I saw him look up and I saw his eyebrows kind of fur, you know, just kind of look down like I'm really thinking about this. And he grabbed a piece of paper and he started writing. And what he was writing, he was writing so quickly that I, I tried to look over his shoulder and kind of see what is the speed by which he's writing. He said, well, Eric, I thought this was a possibly a, a cyst that I could drain and that would be the end of it. But it's a mess and it's hard. So we need to do further testing. I was like, okay, well, you know, whatever test we need to do, let's get that done. Lo and behold, he said, well, um, let me get my assistant. And he calls for the assistant, like kind of quickly, can you come in right now? And she comes into the, um, the office and, and she's looking. And I saw on the bottom of his writing, surgical oncology. He was handing her the note and he said, get him an appointment immediately. So now urgency is going through my head. Why is it immediate? First of all, why is it a surgical oncologist? Because again, I'm thinking this is probably just, you know, maybe a lump or something, but not thinking it'd be anything of any serious nature. Why would you, right? I'm a faithful guy. I'm thinking, hey, this is nothing. This is going to be, you know, something fairly routine and, and I'll be in and out. Well, he sent me to the surgical oncologist. I went there the next day. And three days later, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. You must have just been shocked. A uh, complete shock. Um, you know, those thoughts running through your head are, are just so rapid because you're trying to process and, and realize that someone has had cancer 
and your name in the same sentence, let alone it be breast cancer. Um, you know, breast cancer wasn't new to me. My mother had breast cancer. And four years before I was diagnosed, she was diagnosed. But again, I'm still not thinking as a guy that I have anything to worry about. There's, there's no concern of, hey, you could have breast cancer. My grandmother also had breast cancer and died from breast cancer. But I didn't, again, I never considered that it could happen to me. It never crossed my mind. And it just wasn't one of those things that you think about when you're going to the doctor as a man, breast cancer. It just never enters the equation. So once he said that, that I had breast cancer and he had it checked by seven pathologists, me being the most optimistic guy at times said, let me get a second opinion. And I know he thought I was crazy because he's telling me seven pathologists reviewed this because it was so unusual. 34 years old, don't smoke, barely drink, and I had not even had a cavity at that point. And I'm getting a, a breast cancer diagnosis. And so when I'm thinking about this, I wanted to get that second opinion nonetheless from an outside uh, group or an outside physician. And because when my mother was going through cancer, I'd established such a good rapport with her surgical oncologist, um, receptionist, everyone there, that I felt comfortable going to my mom's surgical oncologist. We already had a relationship. So we were talking already when my mother was going through everything. So I said, I need to get a second opinion. And, um, and she asked me to tell her what was going on and I expressed it to her. And she said, well, it's not always a guarantee that because your mother had it, that you have it, we'll, we'll examine and make sure. And they did an instant, what I call an instant mammogram and sonogram. So when I went in, I knew the same day. There was no waiting period of two or three days, four days. They let me know right away because they felt the urgency. So was your treatment the same as a woman's or what did your treatment consist of? Yeah, you know, when they first do the diagnosis, um, that was one of my questions as well. What's going to happen? And, and it was running through my head pretty rapidly. So I, I asked the doctor, well, what's the course of treatment? And she said, well, there's two things we're going to look at. The first thing is we will do a radical mastectomy based on the measurement of the tumor, uh, what they could see. Um, they also do what's called a lymph node. Well, actually, it is a uh, lymph node dissection. And that means they're going to remove uh, lymph nodes in the region or near the region. For example, we have different sets of lymph nodes. Your left side has a set of lymph nodes under the left arm and the right side as well. My cancer was on the right side. So they basically extracted uh, cells, not cells, but lymph nodes and tested them. And it turned out that the course of action was not only to do the radical mastectomy and the simultaneous reconstructive surgery. So they removed all the breast tissue, went underneath, so you wouldn't be able to tell, extracted muscle from my back, placed it in my chest so that my chest would be symmetrical. So that was a really good part in, in doing that from a plastic surgery standpoint. But the next course of action was chemotherapy. So the radical and then the chemotherapy is coming afterwards and there were discussions about radiation. But fortunately, I didn't have to undergo radiation, but I did have to go through chemo for six months. Okay, so how long did you get to recover from your surgery? Surgery was about, a, I wanna say four to six weeks, maybe, you know, but they wanted to get in on the, the chemo because when they did the lymph node dissection, they found that I, there was cancer in my lymph node. Okay. 
And that is a very dangerous thing because it can spread throughout the body. Your lymphatic system is like the highway for healing. But if cancerous cells are there, it's always uh, provided a pathway for them to potentially go and get in another region. And once cancer starts to travel, it can metastasize in other areas, meaning it can grow and get to an organ, um, get to your brain, um, your kidneys, your liver. All those things become more vulnerable because now it is pathing its way through your system. And so she wanted to be aggressive with the chemo. And so I had to start chemo relatively quickly. In fact, I was still undergoing physical therapy because I had to regain the usage of my arm once the um, muscle was removed and replaced. And it just, I, I was shocked that I needed physical therapy because I didn't think I was going to, but when you can't put on a shirt by yourself, uh, because you get what's called frozen shoulder syndrome from being in the bed for a while and, and not, you know, being very mobile. And so I had to relearn, you know, a little bit about, you know, using the arms and regain strength. So I was doing physical therapy and chemo at the same time. Right. Did you have six rounds? Is that what it was? Actually, mine was eight. Right. It was over a six month period. Um, I did two different cycles of, of uh, drugs. One of them it's called andromycin cytoxin. Some people call it AC or the red devil, or you know, there are a lot of little monitors that go with it. And, and that's one, the one that usually scares everybody when you first start out with chemo um, because you, you hear stories and, and hope those stories are, are, are not completely true for you, but chemo has different impacts from different people. And I had to learn. I really had to learn how to deal with chemo, the ups and downs, the ebb and flow. I mean, it, it takes you on a roller coaster daily. Yes. And did you reach out for support? I know being a man, that's not an easy thing to do. You know, that was really hard. Um, because again, we all, as guys, we want to fix it ourselves. We want to deal with it ourselves. And, and we don't often expose pain, um, you know, or, or fear. We, we just kind of, we, we're kind of taught and we're kind of wired to just deal with it. But the reality was I did look around. I was trying to find some guys that I could ask what I called guy questions I'm like how did you feel what you know how, what does this do to you what what did you do how did you get through it and, and I couldn't find enough guys I, I kept looking I couldn't find and so in fact there was a period of time I didn't find any guy so that that lasted for a couple of years if you can imagine I couldn't find any guys that were talking about it that you know some guys had it and they wouldn't discuss it. they thought that it was a woman's disease as opposed to looking at it as just cancer they felt stigmatized. And I understand that because you do kind of go, everything is pink. Everything is, you know, promoting wellness with women, but, you know, guys need to talk to somebody too. So I did have a, a plastic surgeon who was kind of a bit of my confidant during that time that I would just say, look, I need to ask questions because I don't know where to go to find information. I, I looked on the internet and I didn't find that there were guys that were talking about. It. And the irony is while I was speaking to find uh, people to talk about it. I was willing to talk about it. And so as a result, I ended up going to different places and becoming a part of American Cancer Society Speakers Bureau. And so I began to go to support groups where they were supporting women. And I saw the power of that support system. I saw how great, how vast it was. And oh, wow, you know, why aren't the guys doing this? So I began to tell my story in anywhere that anyone would listen. That's fantastic. And I'm sure that was so healing for you as well. Absolutely. Well, I know cancer can be a catalyst for change. Yeah. 
you know, changing something in your life. And often you get clarity. And I was wondering what became clear for you and what changes did you make in your life as a result of your diagnosis? Well, I was a bit of a workaholic. You know, my father worked a lot. His father worked a lot. And it just kind of ran in the family. That's just what you do with the guy. And you know, we're always taught, you know, take care of your family and, and do these things that you're supposed to do. Um, but sometimes in that, there's an absence of self-preservation. And what I mean by that is you make sacrifices, but you're not always taking care of yourself to the fullest. I ate everything I wanted to eat before cancer. <laughs> whatever came to mind or whatever was quick, I probably grabbed it. And I realized that my preservation is also, I can have a recipe for success of my preservation if I would help make sure that my diet is better. So I stopped eating you know, red meat from like, I won't name the burger places, but I was eating burgers at every one of them. <laughs> so on a regular basis, it was, you know, I was running for work and I'd go, oh, I just run and grab a sandwich here, a sandwich there. But they were filling, but not nutrition. And so I had to, to rescope and reshape my thoughts about nutrition, that it wasn't something bad if you were eating a good diet. It was just saying, hey, I want to be here later. I want to reduce the opportunities for cancers and, and other ailments. And so I stopped eating fast food restaurant hamburgers. Um, I just cut that out. I said that was one thing I could stop. And then at first I tried to go toward chicken. But then I still had to keep watching and saying, what's the sodium? And, what, you know, you start looking at the levels and what's in what you're eating. And so I changed and started eating more chicken and fish um, and, you know, things that were a more a healthier diet that um, would also, you know, keep weight off as well. Because we know that weight is, is a component of cancer that a lot of people don't talk about. But when there's more weight, their hormone levels uh, are going to shift. And when those start to shift, it can make you more susceptible. Right. And exercise. It's a combination. So you really kind of looked at your life and said, you know, what can I do to make myself healthier? And I think, you know, you want that sense of control back, right? I, I felt, I know I felt out of control, like my body is deceiving me, you know? So it, it, it does help when you have some sort of plan. And then, you know, looking at my children, I had a 13-month-old just learning how to walk and looking up at me and, and my three-year-old um, who thought that I could, I was Superman. He thought I could repair anything. I could just do anything. And it actually empowered me to want to do more. So what can I do to improve myself? How can I help other people? They were inspiring. My wife, who was working and trying to take care of all three of us, because at the time, I didn't have short-term disability. So my income was really stopping. I mean, I had some vacation time and, and some savings, but uh, income was stopping. Um, we had two children in, in daycare. So you have what I call a daycare note, and then you have two car notes, and you know, a, a house note, and you know, as far as mortgage. And, and so all these things don't stop when you get cancer. And the bills keep going. The kids still need to go. And, and get the outer experience of, you know, daycare and, and learning how to deal with other children and socialize and all that. So those things had to keep going. And my wife was going to work every day. And so because of that, I knew that the burden that she was feeling was probably just, you know, enormous. The emotional 
plus the, 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 the daily grind of life and me not being able to drive for a while and other things. And so she's carrying all of it. And so I went back to work probably earlier than I should have, but I was determined to make sure that she wasn't bearing all the burden. She's taking care of me and the boys. And I just thought, my gosh, I can't let her keep doing this. It's going to run her into the ground. Now, she's not complaining. She's not saying, you know, and, and I, one day I, I happened to get up at night and I saw her in the hallway and she was crying. It just really got to me. She's scared. And I looked at her and I said, I'm going to beat this. I, I, you know, she said, that's what you said day one. You kept saying, she said, how do you know? I said, I just know. I said, I know we've prayed about it together. I prayed about it by myself. I continue to pray through it. And faith is what's unseen. You have to be able to say, I believe, and you have to strongly believe it. And you have to keep reaffirming your belief. Otherwise, it will fade. And because when you go to chemo, you can be up at 12 and two o'clock, three o'clock, you may take a dip or vice versa. And you don't know how that roller coaster is going to go throughout the day, week, or month. But I knew I had to be there for my family. You know, you probably had to let go of things. I did. Yeah. What would you say you had to let go of as a result of, of all this? I had to just not worry about work. Do what you can. Do the best you can every day. That's all you can do. At the end of the day, you know, we're thinking about providing for our children. We want to make sure that our families are well taken care of. But if you don't take care of yourself, you can't be there in the full capacity to do it or enjoy it. And so the things I took for granted, I didn't take for granted. My son reminded me um, when he graduated from high school, and, and uh, I didn't know if I was going to live long enough to see the day when my kids were graduating from high school. That was one of my fears. How long did I have to live when you get a diagnosis like this? And, and finally, that was already in my lymph nodes. That, that was bringing up another level of fear for me. And, and so I kept thinking, Lord, please help me make it so that I can see them graduate from high school. And, in college and, and, and get jo- their own jobs and, and maybe get married and I become a grandfather. And so I was asking for all of that in prayer and I kept saying, what can I do? And, and so my son reminded me, he said, dad, do you know that you never missed a soccer game? And in spite of what you have gone through, you never missed a soccer game. He said, I don't know if you missed a soccer practice or basketball practice. My, my older son said, and you didn't miss a debate team either. And I made it a point that I wanted to make sure that they always knew that dad was in the stand, supporting them whatever they pursued, because I was the one who'd been blessed with them. And, and I just wanted them to also know that when they have children, I expect them to be there. I don't care what event they're in, be there for them. Let them know that their parents love them above and beyond. Sometimes just looking up and seeing your mom or your dad in the audience is that extra, you know, somebody loves me and, and will do anything for me. Yes. That's just such a good example for them. And they noticed, which I think is so amazing because kids don't always notice. Maybe they noticed, but they expressed it, you know, which is so nice. And, and so I just, you know, I'm just trying to eat better, do better, make sure that, that I'm taking care of me. I mean, it's okay. It's not being selfish to take care of yourself. Um, and sometimes we feel that way. And I know, um, I mean, you're a mom. You, you know that, that sometimes you put everybody and everything else ahead of you to make sure that they're okay. It's so true. 
but you've got to still take care of you so that you can be the best you that you can be. And, and that's one of the things that I gathered from it. I mean, it's been a joy to help other people. And, and I've lectured at different universities. Sometimes I'm lecturing physicians and people say, well, what, what can you tell a physician? Well, most physicians haven't had cancer. I can give them insight and wisdom about how you treat the patient from an intake standpoint, because that's where it starts. Um, most men get physicals and breast cancer is never discussed. It is, unless you bring it up, it's not gonna be a topic of discussion. Um, and so the intake forms also have to be revised a bit. Um, sometimes they're geared more toward women. And so they're questions that are not pertaining to men at all. And so men have a tendency to go in, they wanna get it over with and get out and, on a physical, which is our protocol. That's how we act, you know? But the reality is there need to be some probing questions. If someone in your family had cancer, male or female, um, it could be maternal or paternal. However it has occurred, it needs to be examined. And men need to do a little bit of self-examination. Again, my doctor said, had I not done the strenuous set of push-ups and all the, the, the workout I was doing, he said, what happened is the wall of my chest, the muscle mass pressed against the tumor, tumor pressed against the nerve. That's why I was feeling excruciating pain. Without the workout, the muscle would not have expanded. The tumor would not have been pressed on. And he said, 60 days later in your diagnosis, we would be having a different conversation. It could be a greater stage, stage three or stage four, or it could be that it's moved to a place that's not awful. So again, the conversation would have been different in the exercise, albeit a little bit from vanity and trying to get back in shape. But it was a catalyst for me finding out. And it's just kind of motivated me to do other things. I mean, I enjoy public speaking. I just, I have shared my story in many places and, and will continue to do so. I love that. How did you get in with these doctors to, to give them your perspective? I think that is so important. I don't think a lot of patients are doing that. Well, what happens is one of the places is Morehouse School of Medicine. I was sought to speak at different events. And so as I would speak at these events, someone would pull me to the side and say, hey, if you consider this entity, or you consider that entity, you know, Emory here in Atlanta is another place as well, that when I speak to physicians, I always ask them, how do you, what, how do you treat other patients? Or how many male breast cancer patients have you had? And, and what are you telling them? You know, I'm one of the few people that can say, my mother and I share the same surgical oncologist because her oncologist became my oncologist. And so I would reach out to different universities at times. You know, if I'm doing something or I see that they have an oncology program, I ask them, are, how are you telling students about cancer? And, and so sometimes I've taken the initiative to reach out to them. You know, I've lectured at Tuskegee as well. Um, they had a, a cancer program that was geared toward prostate cancer. But because these cancers, prostate and breast, are both driven by hormones, there's a possibility if you find the remedy for one, you may also find the remedy for the other, because if you can find out what the receptors are and do the necessary testing, you may be able to find a, a, an outlet that can give us some hope and promise. So I try to reach out with you know, networks. And that's when I first got the diagnosis, I was sitting in my basement and I was trying to figure out things and, and I'd been scheduled for, I'd gone through different things in my thought process. And and I thought, what am I supposed to do with this cancer diagnosis? And I said, I could sit 
quietly and, and keep it to myself, but then who would it benefit? And I think when we have a negative experience um, that somebody can benefit from how we process it. Somebody else out there who might be going through it, male or female, may need to hear the perspective of someone else, hear what a survivor has to say. Hear what a person who's going through chemo. People were shocked. I was on the radio after doing chemo. And um, this radio station in Atlanta, I called every major radio station in Atlanta. Did you really? Yeah, I wanted to share my story. And there were so many of them were saying, well, not right now, maybe in October, maybe. And they were putting me off. And this one station said, you know what? We want your story. We want you to come share your story. And I said, okay. And and so I went to share my story and they aired it on a Sunday morning at like 7 a.m. And I'm thinking there probably aren't a lot of people listening to it at that time, but nonetheless, I still share my story. They gave me unprecedented time on the radio, which shocked me. I ended up with an hour of radio time. And for anyone who's been in radio, that is that doesn't happen on TV or radio. Right. They said that they wanted to hear more. They kept asking me probing questions about what I'd gone through and what I was enduring now. And the long and the short of it, I was at home when it aired. I think we were preparing for church or something, or, or I was wanting to go to church. And my phone kept ringing saying, we hear you on this program and we're waiting for part two because they did it in seconds. And, you know, and some people say, we're late to church because of you. But, you know, the story was, was good. And, and again, I, I've been blessed beyond belief. I mean, I, you know, as a young child, I asked for three things in life. And I asked for a, a, a beautiful wife who was very smart and beautiful and, and, a, and a great person. And I asked for two little boys. I said, at least two boys. If we have a daughter, she's going to have two brothers. <laughs> so, so I asked for that. And, and I thought when, in my prayers, I said, God, you gave me everything in my life that I wanted. I don't believe you gave them to me to take them away. So I want to make the best for them. And they mean so much to me. And, and I, I couldn't say more. I mean, I love them to death. And just I wouldn't trade them or her for anything it's it's the best gift that, that I could have ever been given oh that's just so nice and you you just exude positivity and hope and that's what this podcast is about to give people hope that even if they go through a difficult situation or diagnosis their life can be incredible so you're you're living proof and I wanted to ask you I work with a lot of women who are a afraid of recurrence. And I know, you know, a lot of times being afraid isn't a bad thing because it, it pushes you to change, but when it paralyzes you, that's when it's not a good thing. So I was just curious, you know, do you still get worried? It's been 21 years. Are you, do you get fearful sometimes about recurrence? I wouldn't be telling the truth if I said I, I never had that thought. I have to quiet that thought by reminding myself that I've made it this far and also reminding myself that I've made it through it. Um, I don't believe that I'll ever have an encounter with breast cancer again. Um, I said when I left the operating table, I told the doctor, this is it. And I said, what do you mean? I said, it's over. And they said, but we haven't started chemo. I said, you don't understand. It is over. When we did the operation and you removed that tumor, it ended there. And you have to remind yourself, otherwise, as you said, fear can paralyze you. And not only can it paralyze you, 
It can cause you to cycle in areas of depression and worry. And I've never seen anyone benefit from worry. So if you ask someone that is consumed with something and say, okay, so how is that helping you? And how are you helping someone else? If you want to get your mind off your problem, help somebody else. And that's what I decided to do as well. And I found it to be quite therapeutic that I would go out and share my story, but I also hear the stories of others. And, and that was a great benefit to me because I'd hear that others had a plight that may be similar or they had additional difficulties. Uh, some people are struggling with, with the balancing of life as it is. And then you throw cancer in there. Now you're really in flux. Don't let anyone fight it alone. If you know someone who's battling it and they want to keep to themselves, you can respect their boundaries, but you can send them a card. Because guess what? A card is still going to be read. And it's probably going to be read more than one time. I still have the card from when I was diagnosed 21 years ago. And, and those cards were so valuable because there were times when I didn't feel like getting out of the bed, when depression was around the corner and I was trying to avoid it, but I needed a little bit of hope. And sometimes those cards gave me just enough to get me through that hour. And if I get through that hour, I may be able to get to the next hour and so on. And, and so I think we, we all have battles that we're gonna face in life, but let's try to find a way to win them. And if we can't win them all the way, Let's win as much as we can. And then let's pull some others along with us and get with a support group. You know, sometimes it's just sitting there and hearing what the others are going through. I mean, it's nourishment. When I, I was speaking at one group and my mother, I kept telling my mother about how positive these women were and how empowering it was to hear them talk about their stories. I said, they were talking about my story. And I was talking about, look at this room of support. My mother became involved in the organization to an extent that far exceeded where I was with them. <laughs> and it's still a part. Yeah. Look, it's like a ripple effect. Right. And my mother was two times about. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I'm just curious, are there men's support groups now? Are you speaking at? You know, there, there are some groups. That there, there's the, the Male Breast Cancer Coalition. Um, and, and there are others that you know, are, are embracing that, hey, this, this is happening. And, and so I, you know, kind of offer myself up to them as well. If you need me to, to do something, just let me know. Um, yeah, I just want people to, to be aware of it because what's the, the really sad part, uh, especially about male breast cancer, is the undetected. And breast cancer, undetected, male or female, untreated, the lifespan, five years. Mm. And that's because the likelihood of it metastasizing is increasing year by year, month by month. And so it, it's the old adage, if you have something broken, it needs to be fixed. If you have, if you had a leaking roof in the house and, and, and for guys that may be looking at this, I really try to drive this point home. Every guy knows when it's time to change the oil in the car, whether it's the indicator across the, the mantle or a sticker in the upper left corner of the windshield, there's a reminder there. And we do what we need to do to make sure that car is running efficiently. Or our body is the engine that we were given. Why don't we invest a similar type of approach in scheduling those doctor's appointments? You know, we have, most people have a smartphone or you have a computer, or you have access and technologies that would, or, or you have a, just, a, just a phone that you can call and say, I need to schedule an appointment. Those appointments need to be more important than a car that's depreciating in value that is going to, get old and you could take care of this and put it in the best shape that it can be. And we only get one, you know, it's not as if we, you can trade the car in, but you can trade your body in 
That's for sure. Maybe one day people will come up with that, you know, as time goes on, the technology advances. But this is the one we have. So let's make the best of it. That's a perfect way to end and go into our next segment of random round questions. Okay. Okay. Fill in the blank. Freedom to you is doing the thing that you love to do and not worrying about what everyone else thinks about it. And, and, and with that, I want to add some, there's something I've been wanting to do and it's, it's just, it's silly probably, but it would just be fun. I've never done it. I'm going to do it. And I, you kind of add, put your bucket list together, things you want to do and then set out and do it. I mean, what are we waiting for? So true. We don't know what can happen tomorrow. Right. I mean, the pandemic came, it, it, you know, there's so many things people are going to do plans that we're making and all of a sudden it will stop. But if we go forth and do the things that we enjoy, um, it also gives us joy to give back up. No doubt. And you are definitely doing that. When you're feeling afraid, what do you do? Pray. I, I pray and, and, you know, and I will analyze things sometimes in my walks. I, I like to, to get walks and exercise. That's one of my favorite things to do. I, I jog some of it, but I walk some of it. And in that time, I'm processing, dealing with different things. I'm releasing stressing and, you know, and I'm also gaining the exercise and the benefit of that. So it kicks in some good endorphins as well. And, and so that makes me feel good and I can process things better. If you could have a one hour discussion with someone past or present, who would it be and why? Well, probably Dr. King. Um, Dr. King, um, had so many things and so many challenges to deal with. And my family is connected to the church. My mother used to babysit for Dr. King um, and keep his children while he and Coretta would go to various meetings. And, and she traveled with him at times. My mother was in the choir at church uh, at Ebenezer. And, and so even as a baby, I was actually held by Dr. King once. That's pretty cool. Uh, so now you know how old I am. But the key is um, I would ask him about his approaches to, to life and some of the challenges that he faced and how he continued to push back the fear because you didn't see it on him, but he's still a man. And I want to find out how do you go past all of the challenges and keep just plowing forward day in and day out, knowing that the battle is huge. And he was relentless in trying to bring about change that would make everyone benefit. And I, I just admired him. Uh, his oratory skills were, were just, you know, incredible. His father was my pastor. Um, so I, I watched him and I could see where Dr. King received some of the gifts. It, it, some of it came directly from dad. That's you know, so. really neat that you had that that bond with all of them. What is your favorite go-to snack? Apples. <laughs> and, and I love cashews. I, I, you know, I probably would eat too many cashews, but I, I love cashews. It's always that quick. I can grab it. I don't know what it is, but I just, I could just sit there and probably eat a can, but I try, <laughs> I try to just grab a little bit. Yeah. Apples and, and cashews and maybe some, and some yogurt as well. What is one simple thing that brings you joy? My family, my family, um, I'm so proud to be a father. I'm so proud of, of my son. Um, you know, I expressed being concerned and, and being afraid that I wouldn't see them graduate, you know, from high school. And, 
not only did I see them graduate from high school, they graduated from high school with honors, uh, graduated from college with honors. And, and I was seeing them go across the stage was probably one of the best days of my life. It is like the best feeling in the world. And then my wedding, I flash back to that and, and my wife saying yes when I ask her to marry me. And I, and I look at how strong she is and how much life she's given me and how she took care of me in, in my worst, weakest point when I didn't look the same, I didn't feel the same, and I probably didn't act the same. And she took all of that in and, and just tried to always make me better. That's beautiful. What is on your nightstand? My Bible. My, <laughs> my Bible is there. Um, my, you know, I have a book called Jesus Calling. I have, you know, I have, you know, a couple books, a couple Joel Osteen books. I have some motivational, inspirational uh, stories or, or things that are anecdotal for me. What is your favorite form of exercise? Push-ups is probably pretty high on the list. I would say push-ups, but running and, and walking, walking is one of my, it became one of my favorites. Um, there's a place that I go uh, here in Atlanta uh, that I do these five miles. And when I do that, it is the most refreshing thing. Um, I, my wife thought I was nuts. I would do it in 30 degree weather <laughs> because it's just like, well, aren't you, you're freezing. But once you get to a certain mindset, you kind of forget about how cold it is. And you just focused on the completion. Uh, of whatever the the mileage, you know, I, again, mile five miles, and I, I try to do that, and I try to do that on a weekly basis. If I can get it in twice a week, oh my god, three times a week, I am in heaven, you know. <laughs> I mean, because I know that I'm I'm doing something good, I'm burning good calories, and again, I'm processing things. That it's a prayer walk, it's a, you know, physical walk, it's it's a processing walk. So I live in Cleveland, and I hike in the metro parks in the woods. At all winter long. So it could be 20 something degrees and I'm out there. So I get it and I get hot and the whole thing. Oh yeah. So lastly, how can people find you and learn more? Well, you know, I have a website that I set up because someone actually told me to. Now here, what happened is I was speaking in different places and people go, we want to see more information. We want to find out more. And and, and so I, I did um, do a, a website many years ago and, and I continue to try to update it. Uh, it's Dunlap Speaks. So D-U-N-L-A-P and then S-P-E-A-K-S dot com. And you can see more about my story, some more details um, from what happened before the diagnosis, a year and a day before the diagnosis. There's something key there. A spot of blood appeared on a shirt and went to one physician. I, I would say basically he dismissed it to an extent. Um, at that time, he thought that if the blood continued to come back, it stopped on its own, so I didn't go back. A year and a day later, there was a lump in my chest. So men, if you have anything, any blood, any discharge that comes from the, the breast region that is not normal, you need to get it checked out so you can rule out what it is and take the appropriate uh, measures to remedy. Oh, that's a great way to end because people don't know that. So that's so important. Thank you so much. It was such a joy speaking to you today. Thank you as well. And keep up the good work with, with sharing uh, with others. You don't know who you reach all the time. People don't always uh, reply, but it doesn't mean that your message isn't reaching them. And so sometimes I have to remind myself of that. 
And especially as we moved in, in this COVID era of, of doing things by Zoom or, or, or by Teams or, or other uh, mechanisms, our message is still important. And somebody needs to hear it because somebody can hear you and decide, you know what, I can make it through this. And so I applaud you for, for taking this on and, and taking the mantra and saying, hey, I, I want to do something about cancer. And that's how I felt, too. And, and, and just to give a quick summation, my grandmother died of breast cancer. I had no idea about the ins and outs of breast cancer. I was seven years old. And when I looked her in the eye, um, you know, she had stopped talking. Uh, she was on morphine at that point. They were just trying to comfort her. And she was in hospice, which I thought was a fancy hospital. And um, my mother left the room. My sister left the room with my mother to go to the restroom or something. My brother went to the snack machine and I'm there with her by myself. And I'm holding her hand and wishing that she would just be able to get up and that she would be mobile and she could talk and be the grandmother that I knew and loved and, and all the vibrant. I didn't see any vibrance anymore. And so I'm holding her hand and I, and I just rubbed her hand and I kept talking to her, even though she wasn't saying anything, just moaning. And I said, Grandma, we called her Nana. I said, Nana, one day, I'm going to do something about cancer. Not knowing that 27 years later, I'd be diagnosed with breast cancer and my mother would be diagnosed 23 years later. You have to believe in a divine plan, right? It, it was more prophetic than I would ever imagine. And so I hope in some way that I'm keeping the promise that I made to her. Thanks so much. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so will really help this podcast get noticed and will help us to inspire more people. And remember, the sky is the limit when you take your power back when it comes to your health.